Um, one of the most significant transitions in the book of Ephesians is uh, at the end of the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, there's this breakup in Ephesians from chapters 1 to 3. You see a lot of the theology. You see a lot of this uh, masterful, artful, beautiful brilliance of the gospel message. The first three chapters. And then there's a hinge point right at the end of chapter 3. It then swings into three chapters of saying, okay, given this wonderful, majestic gospel message, how does that play out in all of life? I just want to flag for you that after this week, the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a mini-series uh, just looking at what it means to, uh, to be the church. Three sermons looking at what it means to be the church. And it's not because we think that's a good idea. Uh, it's because that's what uh, Ephesians does. Chapter 4 of Ephesians really does a deep dive on what it looks for, like for us to be the church. Uh, and so I just wanted to let you guys know about that as you think and as you pray and as you come to hear from God over the next few weeks. I'm just going to move this microphone so I can uh, see some more people. On that note, let's read God's Word. So we're looking at chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Let's read together. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you knowing that you are the Father above all others. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that when we come before you in prayer on our knees... We come before you according to the riches of your glory, knowing that you can provide for us the things that we can't provide for ourselves, knowing that you are powerful to work in us and through us. And so, Father, we ask that you would be at work in us and through us this morning as we hear from you, as we hear from your word. Father, please, by your spirit, grow us and mature us so that we might be strong in the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw some uh, fairly impressive uh, weather this week in WA. Massive rain, some parts of Perth or, or Western Australia that had hail looking like snow. There was thunder and there was lightning everywhere. A video caught my attention. 
uh, of the weather down in Bunbury on Monday. There was a small four-year-old girl walking from her house with her dad close by, arms around her. He was the kind of dad who wears uh, joggers, uh, joggers and jeans uh, with a flannel on top, the you know, truck driver kind of guy, a burly guy, uh, solid as a rock kind of guy, you know, the kind of guy I'm thinking of, don't you? Is that ringing true for you? So this little girl is in safe hands, you would think. Uh, and just as they were walking out of this house together, a massive gust of wind came through and the little four-year-old girl ended up on her side on the floor three metres away. Even as burly as this truck driver dad was, I actually know if it was a truck driver, just guessing by the way he looks, even with him standing right there, arms around this little girl, didn't stand a chance against the rain and the wind that came through. And now compare that to the solid Port Jackson fig trees, the six in a row along Fremantle Road, just along Albany Highway, opposite the Gosnells Hotel. They must be trees that are 40 to 50 metres high, several tonnes in the amount that it weighs. Those trees did not budge a millimetre in the wind and the rain and the storms. Sure, they would have lost some small branches, but think about how immovable the bases of those trees are, the thick, deeply uh, established root system that's holding them down. The wind didn't touch them even a bit. Now, here's the question I have for us this morning. As followers of Jesus, as a people who have given control of our life over to him, how can I grow up to be like one of those solid Port Jackson fig trees? Immovable. Solid. Able to withstand whatever's thrown at it. And not like the four-year-old girl, where the winds of life come through and knock us flat. Or to put it another way, how can I be, as it says there in verse 17 of our passage, how can I be rooted and grounded in love? Rooted and grounded. The first of those words comes from the world of agriculture, referring to the roots of a plant or a tree. And the second comes from the world of construction, talking about the roots of a building, both referring to foundations. Strong, firm foundation. That's what Paul's praying for in this prayer, in our passage. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need for ourselves as we endure life together? And perhaps to raise the stakes a little more, how can I become like that in today's world? I find it so easy to uh, sink hours into streaming or scrolling or watching something on uh, a screen. I find that so easy. And to add to that, there's the ongoing existence of sin in my life. And I'm just saying for all of you guys, how is it, knowing those things about, how can we become firm and solid and immovable Christians? Is there any hope for us? And not just individually, but us as a church, as a community together, is there any hope for us? 
And just to set it up with one last thing, if you're not a Christian among us here this morning, really thrilled that you've been able to come and join us this morning, by the way. But I imagine you've probably joined, have probably found that there are things in life that can completely flatten you. It's not hard to list them out, but a relationship breakdown, unmet expectations, a diagnosis, a mental health crisis, whatever it is, I'm sure you've seen that there are things that can absolutely flatten you. And the question I want to ask you is, could there be something in this Christianity thing? Could there be something here that could give me something solid, a solid rock to base my life on, an immovable anchor for my soul? I want to ask that question to you. And I think the answer is yes. But we have to do the work to figure out why the answer to that is yes. So uh, let's get into it. Verse 14 of our text this morning tells us that the Apostle Paul bows his knees before the Father. It's a posture of prayer, one that expresses dependence and reverence before God. And so, right off the bat, lesson one on how to become solid and immovable like a Port Jackson fig is to start on your knees, not your feet. Start on your knees and not your feet. We learned last week that Paul, the author of the letter to the Ephesians, had a special call before God, and that was to be an apostle. So he would give his life to proclaiming the immeasurable riches of Christ to the world. And yet, if that were all he did, then he would have left the job half done. And it's because he knows that his proclamation of Christ will only really take effect in someone's life if God makes it so. Only God can write Christ on the human heart. Only God working on the human heart can establish someone, establish a Christian firm and secure. And it's at this point, hearing and understanding this from God's word, now, I think we need to take a moment to confess our sin before the Lord. Because not only is Paul a proclaiming apostle, he's a praying apostle. And as followers of Jesus, we want to follow in the footsteps of the apostle Paul. Don't we? we want to be a community of people who proclaim Christ to the world. But we also have to be a community that prays. That's on our knees before the Father. And I know that if everyone here were praying the same amount that I was in my life, then we would be falling short of what it means to be a praying church. For whatever reason, in our culture and in our time, the church, more broadly in Australia, not just here, is falling short in its prayer life. And it's true of us here also. We average, I reckon, about 10 to 15 people at our four prayer meetings uh, in the year. Uh, And it's worth noting, I'm aware that not everyone can make the time slot that we've devoted to that corporate time of prayer. Uh, We run it at 7.30 in the evening, so we naturally exclude some people. Seniors find it difficult to be out uh, of the house that late. People work night shifts. Uh, There are legitimate reasons why everyone won't be able to make those gatherings. But when we ask the question, why is there 10 to 15 
and not 40 to 50, I take it it's, it's more than just the time slot that we've allocated to it. I take it that there's actually something in our hearts, something in our lives that we need to hear God on and to hear him speak to us on. And I'm not immune to this. Uh, I must be honest. I'm one of the pastors here, and so I have to unlock the doors and I have the responsibility of organising some of these prayer meetings. I've got to be honest with myself in asking the question, would I be as consistent to those gatherings if I wasn't in that kind of position? And I, I imagine not, actually. I need to hear, and we need to hear, this rebuke from our Father. I think we're falling short in this area as a church. Now, I should mention, I know that there are some people who really pray in this church. I know of someone who prays every day for the kids in our GBC Kids Ministry. I know there are people who pray for this church every day. And I know there are people who have prayed for me and Meredith over the years of you know, ministry training and life and so on. But I think that's the exception to the rule, not the norm. When I wrap up at the end of this sermon, um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession. Uh, part of repentance and a, a, life, a life of faith towards Jesus is embracing the fact that we fall short to hug the cactus, so to speak, to embrace the uncomfortable reality. But also in our prayer before God, we're going to embrace the glorious grace which he has lavished upon us. Because we confess our sin before God, not as a harsh judge, but as a loving father, who, although we have indeed fallen short in this area, We've never lost our status as sons and daughters before him. And as with, as with repentance in general, in life, as we move forward into the second half of this year, we want to really have a time to think about how it is that we can be a, a praying church. On the one hand, we want to be like the Apostle Paul who never stops proclaiming the gospel, the immeasurable riches of Christ to the world around us. We never want to stop doing that. But at the same time, on the other hand, we never want to be a church that just does that. We want to carry forward the mission of the Apostle Paul to proclaim the gospel, but to pray to God, to be on our knees before our Father. There's going to be an invitation towards the, uh, moving into the second half of this year. Uh, the timeline and the specifics aren't worked out yet. But there will be an invitation in the second half of this year to engage in some more corporate prayer gatherings. Not just the ones at the start of each term, but actually on top of those also. And we just want to flag that for you now as it comes up from God's Word. I want to flag that as though this isn't just something that's coming from the leaders. It's not just a good idea. This is God's idea. It's God's idea that we would be on our knees before Him. But the decision I want you to make now in your own heart before the Lord is a decision to gather with your brothers and sisters in prayer. 
Will you make that decision now in your heart and in your mind before the Lord to gather when the time is set uh, and all those things are in, in place, to gather with your brothers and sisters, to be on your knees before our Father? That's one of the questions that we want to leave with you this morning. So uh, we've seen that Paul is the proclaiming apostle, pre-immeasurable riches of Christ. But we've seen also here that he's the praying apostle. And it's in those footsteps that we want to continue to walk as a church. And we're going to be greatly helped as we see what it is that Paul prays for. What Paul prays for tells us what he thinks is most important, most necessary, most fundamental uh, for the Christians that he's praying for. And in what Paul prays for, we find the fertile soil in which deep roots can grow, out of which we can be firmly established, firmly grounded as followers of Jesus. I can remember in my first years out of high school, I spent my summer holidays uh, working on the construction sites, just a general labour. Uh, it was good work, it was hard work, but it, it gave me some extra cash. Uh, you know, I was lifting things, being on the end of a broom, that kind of thing. It was the apartment buildings that are going up uh, around East Perth. Uh, so they weren't massive, but they weren't small either, 10 to 12 storeys high or so. And what was really quite ex- uh, impressive was how quick the structure would go up. Um, it seemed like it was every three or four days there was another level of walls that had gone up, another concrete pour that had done. And after a few weeks, it was full size. But it seems like it was months and months of work that went into getting the foundations right. Massive pillars that needed to go deep into the ground. Excavators digging deeper and deeper to make sure that this is done right. And we know why, that, we know why that's the case, don't we? We know that's the case because solid foundations are critical. It would be a disaster if foundations were a rush job. And it's the same with our life with Jesus. If we don't get the foundations right, if we give it just a rush job, then of course there's going to be problems down the track. And so it's as we see what it is that Paul prays for the church. What is it that he wants more than anything for this church to grasp? It's as we see those things that we're going to see what it is that those foundations are. There's two things I think that he shows us in his prayer. Two things that really end up being the same thing. Um, But there's two things I think that can be separated out. The first is for Christ to dwell in our hearts. And second, that we to an ever increasing degree would contemplate the dimensions of Christ's love for us. You see the first one there in verse 17, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. And verse 18 to 19, you'll see the ever-increasing dimensions of Christ's love for us. Uh, Just to note, these verses are incredibly rich, and we're not going to have the time to drill down into it all. Uh, But we are going to pick up these two things uh, here now. So the first one, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power by who? The Holy Spirit, no less than God himself coming into the life of the believer, And where does he do this work? 
Where is it that this Holy Spirit coming into the life of the believer, where is it that he's doing this work? It's in your inner being. Can you see what he's saying? That God, the Holy Spirit, does his work right at the very core of who you are. At the very seat of your being. The place of your deepest convictions, your strongest desires. The very centre of your being. What is it that Paul prays for that would happen at that part of our life, that, that very core of us? He wants us to behold Christ with the eyes of faith. To see him, to know him, to worship him, to delight in him, to behold him. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is really just drilling down further into Christ. Paul prays that you would know Christ's love. For some reason, uh, we're all actually fairly horrible at accepting love. Maybe it's because it makes us appear weak or needy, or perhaps deep down we know that really if people really saw what was in my heart, they would see that I am unworthy. Sure, love wins in the Disney movies, but that's just in the realm of the fairy tale. And we've, it's the reason why we mistake Christianity to be about what we do for God. Surely his love can't be strong enough to love me completely. And so we need to cover up our shortcomings. We need, to, we need to do these works and these religious deeds to, to, you know, God can't actually accept me as I am, and so I need to prepare myself and present myself before God so that he would accept me. That's something we do, isn't it? We find it hard to accept that God could actually love me completely. And on the other hand, it's why we find it hard to give up on the pleasures of this life. We think for some reason we're, we're missing out. If all I have is the love of God, then, then somehow I must be missing out because I don't have this thing or this thing or this thing. There, there must be better elsewhere. God's love can't fully and truly satisfy me. Now, we're not great at accepting love, are we? It's one of, the thing that, one of the things that actually stops us from finding the deepest joy available anywhere on earth. In the love of Christ. The love of Christ that is big enough to embrace even you, even me. The love of Christ that is better than life itself. In verse 19, this is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. So if at any point you feel like you've, oh yeah, I got it. I understand God's love for me. I understand how big it is now. You're paddling in the pools. It is beyond your comprehension, the love of Christ. And so Paul prays. Paul knows that we are bad at accepting love. And so he prays for 
the Christians there, and it's a prayer that he would pray for us also. He prays that they would know the love of Christ. And where is it that we see the love of Christ most deeply expressed to us? It's on the cross. It's on the cross where God's love for us is most clearly and vividly displayed. That God himself took on human flesh and endured for us on the cross what we should have been enduring. So Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ. Let's bring this to a close. We've talked a lot about foundations, becoming deeply rooted as a Christian. And I want us to finish by reminding ourselves of the power that is at work in those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus. Because it would be really possible here, wouldn't it? Really possible for me to look at my own life, for you to look at your own life, and wonder if it's even possible. Wonder if it's even possible to become this solid, strong, immovable person in your relationship with Jesus. And not just for us individually, but for us as a church to become that in our relationship to Jesus. And what does Paul pray with? What is he, what is he drawing from when he's praying for the Ephesian uh, church that's gathered there? Well, have a look at verse 16. Paul says that he prays according to the riches of God's glory. And look down there at verse 20. He prays according to the power at work within us. I rode my bike home from church last week, Sunday afternoon. It was around 4 o'clock. Can anyone remember what it was like at 4 o'clock last Sunday afternoon? Let's just say I arrived at home like a drowned rat. I was completely saturated. Uh, thanks, Steve, for the, the round of applause. Uh, I, was, I was not prepared. I'm, I'm early days in my you know, ride, to, ride to work kind of life. And so I was not prepared. My, my rain jacket was, was no rain jacket at all. It was soaked. My socks were soaked. Um, I had my, ear, my ear pods in, and I think that got, may have gone broken. Um, but who knows? Um, it absolutely poured with rain uh, when I was uh, when I was going home last Sunday, and that, that's one of the places where we see the glory of God, isn't it? In in His creation, in what He's made, we see the glory of God in the thunder that bellows in the clouds, in the lightning that strikes the earth, and in the rain that hits us and hurts us. See the glory and the power of God in creation. But that's actually not where we see his power most clearly. Again, we turn our eyes to the cross where Jesus died and we look at his resurrection. In his death and his resurrection, he defeated every enemy. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated the evil forces that exist in this world. He defeated sin. 
raised right up to sit at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the glory of God on display for the world to see. It's that power, the power that God used to raise Jesus up from the dead, conquering every enemy. It's that power that is at work in each of us. Every one of us who's entrusted our lives to the Lord of the universe, that's the power that's at work in us. Do you feel discouraged that you won't be able to grow in your life with Jesus? Do you feel like you're not making progress? Do you feel like there's just a roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in your growth and maturity as a Christian? Do you feel that sometimes? Do you feel that a lot? I know I've had times where I've, I've felt that deeply. But have you seen the cross? Have you seen the resurrection of Jesus above every enemy, above every power, above every authority? The power that God worked to raise Jesus up is the power that is at work in you. So you can have confidence. You can walk with confidence and joy, knowing that that power is at work in you to overcome sin to grow in maturity as a Christian. A few things are all going to happen at once here, but we're going to try and do it uh, you know, as a team and as a family here. I'm going to lead us in a, in a prayer in a moment uh, and going to lead us particularly in that prayer of confession. I'm also going to ask uh, some guys to come and move the communion table over um, as I pray. Um, and we're going to move towards communion. But I want us to really think about this prayer that we're going to pray together and for us each to come prepared to pray it. We're going to confess our sin of falling short of what it means to be a praying church. In our prayer, we're going to embrace the glorious grace which he has lavished upon us, that even though we fall short... We never lose our status as sons and daughters, dearly loved by our Father. And then we're going to ask for God's help. Help uh, in gathering together as brothers and sisters to pray and personally to to be individual Christians who devote ourselves to prayer. So I invite you to join me in praying now. Our Father, we come before you as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We come before you as your uh, sons and daughters, as those who are dearly loved by you. And Father, it's actually no surprise that we, in our life, in our relationship with you, that there's areas that we find that we're falling short. Father, that we that we see areas where actually we've. Uh, We need to be doing better in that area. And so, Father, we just want to embrace the fact that this is an area, our prayerfulness before you, this is an area where we need your help. And it's an area where we want to confess before you, our Father, that we have fallen short.
And so, Father, uh, we're sorry. And Father, we also put our trust in you, put our trust in your Son. We trust that even though we're falling short, that you are continuing to embrace us, continuing to lavish upon us your glorious grace. And Father, together, if this was uh, wholly dependent on us to become a praying church, uh, we know that we would fall short also. And so we ask you, according to the riches of your glory, according to the power that is at work in us, that, Father, you would help us to become a praying church, to be a church that's on its knees regularly, be a church that's calling upon you to mature us, calling on you regularly to save people, to see our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours come to know and love the Lord. So, Father, we ask for your help in this. We pray this all for your Son's glory in this world. Amen.